0: Welcome to where we explore the magic of music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and relive your favorite movies through music. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank Wilson. Let's have a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we play today. recognize that music it's from the 1995 uh, dramedy film called funny bones and it was uh, scored by our guest today let's let's talk about him for a moment Um, it was interesting in reading up on him uh, one of the things I saw that uh, really struck me was that he has been dubbed as music royalty Uh, and when you start looking at his uh, career you can understand why he's worked on over uh, uh, 40 different films Uh, as a composer, sometimes as an arranger, conductor, all sorts of different roles. Uh, Some of the films that he has composed music for would include things like The Reagans, Shall We Dance, uh, Goldeneye, and uh, he provided assistance uh, for some of the music on the Titanic. Uh, But it doesn't stop there. He's an accomplished musician and arranger, and he's played or worked with such greats as uh, Eric Clapton, Van Morrison, George Michael, Amy Winehouse, Rod Stewart and Tom Jones. I mean, that's, uh, and there's, he's won way too many awards to mention here. Uh, but I would encourage you to look that up at some point uh, uh, to see just how an accomplished individual he is. So without uh, further ado, I hope all of you will help me welcome composer and musician extraordinaire, John Altman. Hi, John. Hello. Appreciate you being with us today and, and making time, uh, it's always kind of nice to start this off with, uh, we'd like to get to know a little bit more about you, uh, you know, where you were born and raised and, uh, family and things of that nature. So if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing a little bit of that with us.
1: Yes, it's, um, quite an interesting story, I think, because I, I was born in London in, uh, the, the very end of the forties. So I'm a child of the forties, um. All my mother's brothers were well-known band leaders and arrangers and composers and musicians. So um, her youngest brother was the musical director at the London Palladium.
2: Wow.
1: Conducted for Sinatra, Judy Garland, Nat King Cole, Hoagy Carmichael, Dean Martin, Frankie Lane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Benny Goodman. So I basically grew up with sort of people like Jack Benny and Judy Garland and uh, Sinatra and Bob Hope as family friends. I wow. um, never knew anything really different. My older uncle, um, well, one of my older uncles was Britain's top arranger, Dixieland clarinet player. And he he played with Louis Armstrong's All Stars when Louis came to London, and he even gave Puccini jazz lessons. This is how far we're going back. <laughs> um, so I came into a, quite a rich heritage of music, and um, basically, I never looked back.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it was. I mean, it was destined for you to be in music. It's in your DNA.
1: It totally is.
0: Now, now, you had all that, that strong background in music, but the one thing I didn't hear was that anybody in the family or, or uh, uh, there didn't seem to be any kind of a connection to film music. So what was, a, what was the genesis of you getting interested and started in that?
1: In those days, I'm talking about towards the late 70s, mm-hmm. most of the BBC arrangers had come from the dance bands And they were that much older, you know. So there were things like, um, I don't know, reggae and country and Western and funk and things that they didn't want to get involved with. So they would farm it off to me, you know. So I I found myself taking down from record when an American visitor came over, for example, someone like Don Williams or Telly Savalas or... um, Oh, there there was all sorts of reggae performers would come Mm to a and they'd have TV appearances. Somehow I then got into TV drama really as an arranger. And in, Oh, my, the first film I worked on was called just a gigolo with David Bowie and Marlene Dietrich. Strange combination. (laughs) Um, It was set in the twenties. So, they called me in as a specialist arranger to write 1920s music. And then immediately after that came Life of Brian, for which I arranged Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, which was a,
0: a huge success. Iconic, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, but the first movie that I really scored, after having done a lot of TV drama and graduated from, if you can say graduated from orchestrating other people's music, to writing my own, which eventually somebody said, oh, you know, why don't you write it? You're, you're doing all the work on this anyway, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> it, it, became, it became a thing to do. And I, I went to work as an arranger on the m- movie called Act of Vengeance with Charles Bronson, which was Keanu Reeves' first film and Ellen Barkin's first film. And the director was a guy called John McKenzie, who did The Long Good Friday. Very Mm. good director. And I went into a range. He'd hired a well-known songwriter to write the score. And we had a big meeting, and the producers and John said to the songwriter, who I won't name, "Um, what have you written for the big sequence, the eight-minute sequence where... Charles Bronson gets murdered in his bed by the thugs, you know, and uh, the chap started playing basically a riff on e and B at the bottom of his guitar like a dum 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 dum, and mm-hmm. went on for about three minutes at the end of which everybody was uh, looking at me, and they took me to one side and said do you think you could write the score? And I said, well, I know exactly what you want. Um, Yeah, I don't see why not. And that was the first movie that I actually scored.
0: Wow, that's a great story. That's a great story. And it's prompting me for a lot of other questions, but I want to get into some of the music first, and then I'll I'll come back around to that. Uh, We had uh, discussed earlier about what some of your favorite scores were, and so we're going to be playing examples of those. The first one I thought I would play is a – from a film a lot of people know, uh, called A Streetcar Named Desire, uh, written by Alex North. What was it that uh, had you uh, include that in your list of uh, favorite scores?
1: Well, it was groundbreaking in its sort of use of jazz, and um, it just always appealed to me, the orchestration, the the way it was written, the the way he was using the vocabulary of jazz, but in a filmic setting, Mm -hmm. you know. Just a uh, jazz music being played to film, you know it, it was a definite advance on the Max Steiner corn gold techniques it, it it was the first to me, the first really modern American movie score.
0: Hmm. I like the way you descri- describe that, and it is it's, it's and it's and I'm a big fan of jazz as well and it and it and it works for the the subject matter, the location, and everything. So it, uh, it all really came together nicely. Let's, um, let's take a listen to this. This is, I believe, the main theme from the film called A Streetcar Named Desire, written by Alex North. You, uh, you mentioned, uh, this is something I've always wanted to ask someone who really knows what they're talking about, and you're a great example for this. You've talked about arranging, and, and then I've also heard about orchestration. In, in, a, in a way that even a simple mind like me can understand, is there a way you can help me understand what is, what is arranging, what is orchestration, what's the difference?
1: I think the easiest way to describe it is that um, when you're orchestrating something, as I've orchestrated several movies for uh, composers like Rushi Sakamoto and Eric Serra, um, you're given the basic material that you're writing on, you know, manuscript or on sound files, And basically all you're doing is, is being a musical secretary. You're, you're transferring that into an orchestral setting, but you're not actually being particularly creative about what you're doing. You're, 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 you're taking something that is what somebody suggested and you might just say, Oh, do you realize that, you know, you've written 36 bars of flute continuously? Um, maybe if we have two flutes or four flutes, two of them can play eight bars and then two of them can play the next eight bars while the others have a rest because everybody has to breathe, you know. So (laughs) that's probably as much creativity as you put in. Arranging is much more just getting the song and putting your own stamp on it orchestrally. For example, if I were writing an arrangement for... Say George Michael or Rod Stewart, I'd just have the bare bones of what the song was. And from that I would give an input of my creativity into that particular song that had as much my stamp on it, I think, or any other arranger's stamp who who was arranging a track as the song itself. Mm. Um, for example i i wouldn't say I orchestrated always look on the bright side of life because all I got was a guitar demo, so everything you hear on that track has come from me. However, the end titles for sheltering Sky all I was doing was taking down what Ryushi Sakamoto wanted you know it, it was he it was very specific about the the structure of the orchestration. I think that's the big difference. You know, the, the orchestrating is not particularly creative. It, it, it's creative in as much as, you know, a good orchestrator will put his own stamp or her own stamp on on the music. But the ultimate thing about the music is it, it's John Williams music or it's somebody who could orchestrate it had they the time.
0: Yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it sounds very tactical to me, so to speak. Just kind of figuring out what what mix of instruments, I guess, that are used and and when and how they're used. Is that yeah. okay? That, that that's helpful to me because I've always kind of wondered about that. And I think perhaps you know better than I do on this. Don't don't most compo- film composers uh, do their own arranging, but the orchestration is is kind of time intensive or detailed so they will have someone else orchestrate it would that be a safe assumption or not necessarily so
1: to a certain extent that's very true
0: well, let's continue with our list then um this was an interesting choice and and I say that only because I I must admit I don't think I've ever seen it but uh, we're going back quite a few years I don't even know what year this was but the another score you picked was the adventures of robin hood uh, written by corngold uh, uh, Tell us a little bit about what went into your uh, decision to include that amongst your favourites.
1: Well, it's always been one of my favourites. I mean, it, it's I think it's recognised as one of the early great film scores, and a lot of the thematic material um, wound up in Korngold's Violin Concerto, um, which was interesting. I mean, Korngold was a child prodigy. At, at the age of five or six, he was thought of as hmm. the Mozart, And he sort of revolutionized film. He, along with Max Steiner and Franz Waxman and a lot of the European emigres from the mid-30s, sort of took a hold on the way films were scored and the the sort of the adventurousness and the, the, the high drama of the score for Robin Hood really makes the whole film stand out to me.
0: Okay, well, let's, uh, let's take a moment and uh, let's listen to this example of a score from Adventures of Robin Hood. And what was uh, uh, Korngold's first name? Eric. Eric, written by Eric Corngold. Kor- because we did an episode here recently, where we uh, uh, we talked about uh, scores that get rejected, and and you know a little bit about how that happens or why it happens and those sorts of things, I'm I'm just curious. Have you ever had uh, a score that you've written be uh, rejected?
1: I've not had one thrown out. I have been taken off the film before I've written a note, which is also very interesting. <laughs> been paid in full, which was even nicer, you know. Mm. But- that was a power struggle between the star of the movie and the director and the producers. And, uh, he just wanted his own people in. And so I got, I got outed, but, um, everybody suffers from that. I think in, in the business, you know, that it, At
0: one time or another, you know,
1: yes, it's affected John Barry and Michelle LeGrand and Henry Mancini and Jerry Goldsmith and Elmer Bernstein, you know, so I've, I've been lucky that I haven't actually had a rejected score, I think. Um, you do get occasions when you write something and, you know, it's not what people wanted. In the old days, before one did demos, you had to really think on your feet in the studio, you know. Now, the demos are so polished, as it were, that that you could... Most most directors and producers will go into a scoring session knowing exactly what they're going to get. When I started, that just wasn't the case. You know, it was it was see you at the session. and yeah. uh, fingers crossed. You know,
0: <laughs> and and I guess technology has helped that along, right? In terms of doing the demos and the...
1: well, totally. I mean, uh, now it's possible to put nuances and uh, yeah in some occasions i've heard of you know the the synth score has been the score they've gone with and they've said well why do we need an orchestra this sounds great <laughs> that happened on pirates of the caribbean 3
0: wow wow that's uh, it's
1: changed technology huh. changed um another one
0: yeah yeah uh, another one on your list is also one of my favorites and it it it's interesting how there are there are some pieces of music that over time, over the years, it, 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 it's etched into people's memories of what the movie was and what kind of pictures went with the sounds, uh, and to where it almost, uh, became a template for future movies of similar topics. Um, I'm talking about, uh, the magnificent seven and there is, there's just an iconic theme that was written, uh, for that, that's included in this cue that, you, that we're going to share, uh, what went into it, uh, into your thinking about including this as one of your favorites? Because it's not, not jazzy or anything like that. Uh, uh, well, just, very, you know, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Very interestingly, um, when I was in my 20s, uh, Don Black, who was something of a mentor to me,
0: oh, okay.
1: called me up and said, uh, I'd like you to do some work with Elmer Bernstein. And I arranged some things for him. And then he called me again to do another movie. Um, and then he called me again to do something else. And I wound up pretty close to him. Um, he was very supportive of my career and said some lovely things about me. Uh, my great memory of working with him was I'd written... I. I would say six or seven arrangements in a jazzy vein for, for a film. And I say arrangements because he'd basically just given me the melody
2: mm-hmm. and
1: let me to it. And I remember getting to the studio and he said to me, Well, you know how everything goes. You take the session, I'll sit in the control room. So I, I was up there <laughs> conducting the, the band. You know, it wasn't a big orchestra, but it was a, a jazz group. Mm-hmm eight or nine piece jazz group and he just let me get on with it you know which was wonderful i've always had a soft spot obviously for him i've I've still got like notes he wrote me and bits of music he sent me and uh, letters he wrote to me and uh uh, this is iconic you know um the magnificent seven theme is is I, i just wish i'd written something like that
0: yeah, I mean, it's something that will live on for, for ages. There's no question about it because it's just so perfectly fit, you know, what was, what was trying to be communicated. Well, let's stop talking about it and let's actually listen to it. This is uh, uh, the main theme from the film The Magnificent Seven written by Elmer Bernstein. I just mentioned about uh, getting past the baton i was i was interested in, uh, to kind of learn over time that uh, not all composers uh conduct during the recording sessions uh, what's what's your uh, what's your uh, operation do you always conduct or sometimes do or don't or?
1: i always do the, um, the only time i didn't was i i was the first western composer to do a film in russia when hmm. pre-glasnost and they didn't want me to conduct the orchestra. They wanted a Russian who spoke the language to conduct. So I sat in the booth. Um, a lot of composers do prefer to sit in the booth because they can talk to the director. They can change anything. Um, they can stand up for what they've written, et etc. et cetera. And when you go out to conduct, you're a bit exposed because you're with the orchestra, but... Um, unless people talk to you and you get that awful could you pop in for a moment please that's <laughs> dread, you know right um it it's just how i i guess because i started out arranging for other composers i just got used to conducting the music that i'd written and i carried on doing it when i was writing my own
0: getting back to some of your favorites you uh, mentioned or we we actually started the show with a short little clip from a score uh, from a film called Funny Bones which also happened to make your list of uh favorites i'm uh, tell me a little bit about what is it about that score that you particularly like or uh, well, the, to the point where you'd include it in one of your favorites
1: well the great thing was well there were two great things um one working with the director peter Chelson, because he is so musically aware that you can make suggestions, you can take the music in certain directions, he gives you the complete freedom or or certainly did you know in those days to to write what 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 you felt was the best thing for the film, so you were going the extra mile for him. The film itself is a wonderful under- underrated movie i mean the The problem with it was that. Disney who released it had no idea what they had on their hands because it's a it's a, it's a comedy but it's also very dark. And on the one hand, they tried to sell it as a, a Jerry Lewis fun film, which it isn't quite.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: On the other hand, it it's got all these dark overtones to it, which for a composer are wonderful because You can mix up comedy and impending tragedy and, um, you know, really go to town scoring, which I was very lucky to be able to do. And in all the films I've done with Peter, um, it's three or four, I think, Mm -hmm. I've I've had that freedom to to do what I felt was right. You know, he never came down on me and said, no, 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 you've got to do it like this or you've got to do it like that. He just said, right. You know what what this needs. Go ahead and do it, which is very rare.
0: So let's let's go ahead and play the full uh, uh, clip of this from uh, the movie Funny Bones, uh, written by our guest, John Altman. John, I must tell you, the first time I became aware of you um, was in 1995, and it was a rather unusual way to become aware of you. I, uh, as my a lot of my listeners will know, I'm a I'm a, a huge first of all, I'm a huge John Barry fan. I mean, like over the top Barry fan. <laughs> uh, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that I also happen to be a, a very very much a James Bond fan. Right. And and I don't mean to speak despairingly of anybody, but in fact, I even went to the, I was very fortunate to go to the world premiere of GoldenEye uh, in uh, New York. I was there. Oh, were you really? Oh, wow.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, I I know what they were trying to do, and I actually like some of his work. Uh, Eric Serra is, I'm talking about the composer, but for me, just being kind of like an old time Bond fan, I just gosh, it. The score really wasn't working for me. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, when this tank chase happened, it was like the whole music changed. And I said, this guy's brilliant. He finally, all <laughs> he, all right, now he's really captured the sound. That's what we need. And it wasn't until, I think, months later that I found out that uh, the one piece that Eric did not compose and work on was that very tank chase. Indeed. Uh, which I thought oh, I thought was fabulous. I just loved it. And I think you know, it wasn't even on the original uh, CD when it was released. I don't know if it's... That, if that, it's
1: it, it never had a, uh, a proper release, actually. Yeah,
0: I, I don't think it ever has, which is why I'm actually kind of excited you sent it to me because I know I at least have a, have a recording of that. But well, do, do it, you mind...
1: Oh,
0: cool. I was just going to say, do you mind kind of telling us how that, how that happened? I guess maybe you were arranging or orchestrating for Eric on the film and then... And then what happened? If I'd like to hear the story.
1: Yes, I mean that's exactly it. Um, I'd done two movies with Eric and Luke Besson, which were Atlantis and then Leon, which was called The Professional. In
0: right.
2: The
1: Wonderful film. Yes. And um, the producers, the Bond producers, had seen The Professional and wanted the same team basically. So. Eric came on board as a composer and I came on board as the arranger because it was a new bond. There hadn't been a bond in the cinema for 10 years, you know, right. new broom. We want to go radical. We want to go revolutionary. Um, I think the first hint of trouble came when we all went to Paris and Eric played what he'd written for the opening scene, which was, the pre-credit scene where Bond is, you know, on a metal staircase and doing all kinds of sort of subterfuge type things. Right. And um, the, the editor was there and he said, do you think this bit could be a bit faster? And Eric said, I like the speed it's at. And I thought, oh, okay. Then uh, the producer said, "I'm not sure I like that noise that's on something or other." And Eric said, "Well, I like it," and he walked out the room. And I thought, "It's not going to go very well."
2: Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. And um, I soon realised. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm there as an orchestrator, and Eric had only really scored for luke vessel who he'd been to school with who accepted everything he did without questions you know if eric's done it it's in the film suddenly there were sort of eight cooks on the on the movie all with their own ideas and eric wasn't prepared to listen to any of them so the first thing that happened was they wound up phoning me all the time you know what have we got for this what have we got for that and I said to my agent, could you please get them off my back? I'm, I'm orchestrating Eric's music. I'm not the composer. Mm-hmm. So I then got a phone call a week before the film was released from Pinewood saying, could you come down straight away? And I turned to my friend and said, um, I think it's the tank chase. Which I didn't work on, Eric's version. It was all synthesized. Yeah. I got to Pinewood and I saw the clip with his music and the editor said, I've worked hard on this. If that music stays, my name comes off the film. And then the dubbing
0: editor said the same thing. Holy smokes.
1: It was really, you know, it was quite dramatic, you know. Yes. And, uh... Martin Campbell, the director, turned to me and said, um, Could you possibly rescore it? And I said, Well, the thing is, I know what you want. You know, I've, I've worked out that you want the traditional James Bond moment. And when do you need it? And they said, Well, um, we need, we, we're opening next Friday. So we mm-hmm. really need it Tuesday at the latest. This is Friday. <laughs> so oh I
2: said,
1: well I can do it but I need you first of all to to clear it with Eric because he's you've hired him you've got to give him first chance at doing it you know I, I, I can't just take it over from him so they rang Eric and he basically said I'm not going to do it again I give my blessing he can go for it you know Hmm And I sat down on the Saturday. I wrote the cue on Saturday. I had three orchestrators standing by on the Sunday, and I thought, when will I ever get the chance to write a sequence for a Bond movie? So Hmm. I orchestrated the whole thing on the Sunday. It was copied on Monday, recorded on Tuesday, dubbed on Wednesday, and the film came out on Friday.
0: Oh, my gosh. And it is so different than what was... Yeah, because what what because what Eric had written for the tank chase is on the CD.
1: It is, and and it's um, really different. Yeah, and it's very quirky, and you know, you either love it or hate it, and um, not really at all.
0: Yeah, and John Barry, of course, had been so connected to that series. I mean, even to the point where Barbara uh, Broccoli, one of the producers, I'm sure you were dealing with, was a. I mean her, her children uh, the 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 godfather of her children is John Barry. I mean there's just there's a, yeah, yeah. a a kind of a family kind of a connection and
1: Funnily enough at one point um one of the producers said in the studio if I'd known you were this quick I'd have got you to rescore the whole film. And I, <laughs> oh, thank heavens that didn't happen but Oh my uh,
0: goodness well, let's, uh, thank you for sharing that. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, I, I think we, uh, we should take a look at, uh, or take a listen to this. Mm. It's a, it's a fabulous, uh, piece of music. This was during a tank chase in St. Petersburg in the film golden eye. And it's written by our guest, John Altman. Thanks for sharing that. That was a, that was a really interesting story, and it, 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 you know, it's a fabulous cue. I just love it. It uh, was great that we were able to include that. Um, what's the average amount of time you get to write a score, Do you, or is there an average?
1: Well, usually, you know, you, you can sort of allow for about six weeks if you're lucky. Um, I, I worked on one movie where they did a test screening on the Friday, and somebody made a comment about the music, which I hadn't done. It was just dubbed in by the editor. And everybody panicked. And I got a phone call on the Monday saying, we're going to retest the film next Friday, but we need music for six cues or something to, to, to put in. Uh, can you write something and record something by Wednesday? And this is Monday. <laughs> So I, I said, Well, I can, but I don't want you to judge it. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to have six weeks on the film, and you're basically asking me to score it in a day. And they said, Well, we're not going to, we, we promise we're not going to judge it. We just need bits of music to put in. So I said, Okay, fine. So I just sat down and wrote the first thing that came into my head. And we went into the studio on the Wednesday and recorded the first cue. And obviously, the the glass between the studio and the control room—you can't hear anything in the control room because, mm-hmm.
2: it,
1: you know, it's all soundproof. So I finished the the first cue, turned to the control room, and the entire control room was clapping.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all goes well, you know. So I went in the but control but room. you
0: didn't want on to judge it, though. <laughs>
1: No, well, I went in the control room. The producer said, it's absolutely perfect. It's it's great. It's wonderful. Um, we recorded the rest of what I'd written. That became the score of the film.
0: Wow. Wow, but that's that's that, a pretty quick turnaround. That's close to a record from what I've heard.
1: Yeah, all the prevaricating about what you do. I think I, I went back in and I recorded three extra cues for um, use later in the film or for another character. Mm-hmm but that was the score that wound up being the score wow quite amazing
0: it is you uh you, you picked a, another uh favorite score of mine and composer of mine uh the love theme from chinatown and i seem seen you recall something maybe you know about it better than i do but i i seem to recall a jerry goldsmith had said he wanted to use like three pianos or some kind of a weird thing like that but but it all worked. I mean, I love this movie and this and the score. Tell me a little bit about what was your thinking in uh, choosing this for your uh, one of your best or one of your favorites.
1: Well, it also harks back to this um, earlier discussion we had about replaced scores, because this is a replacement score for, for a score by another composer that was thrown out. And
0: um, I didn't know that. Who who was the who was the original composer, do you know? I'm
1: trying to remember. It's it's if you go on Wikipedia, you can yeah, see. Yeah, I'm
0: sure you could find it, yeah.
1: And I think that there's even cues on online of what was, was there before, you know. Mm-hmm. But Jerry had two weeks to do the whole score and this is what he came up with. And uh the trumpet player, of course, is Yuan Racy, who I, I knew in Hollywood who um it's it's just a perfect score to me it, 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 you I think the the great scores you don't think well that was written before or that was written after or that was written in two days or that was two weeks or six weeks. It's just right and mm-hmm. this, to me is is hundred percent right
0: you can't imagine them apart no, or separate, about- you know I mean they just that's how well they marry together. Let's take a listen. This is this is just fabulous, and you're right. The trumpet is fabulous in this piece. This is the love theme from the film called Chinatown, written by Jerry Goldsmith. Do you um Do you have a favorite composer of yours that you admire or favourites?
1: Um,
0: I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot if you just say no, nah, I can, you know, that's fine.
1: No, I mean there are so many. I mean I, I love Miklos Rose's scores, I love David Rexon's scores. I mean contemporary writers, uh, I think Thomas Newman is very, very clever or very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Hans, who's a good friend of mine, is is writes some very iconic things um alexander who i met when he was a young french composer i went around to his flat i was working on an arrangement for a french singer called patricia cass for a movie that he was scoring and the head of music who took me over to paris said oh come with me i want you to meet this guy he's going to be the next big thing in film scoring and we went round to the flat and met Alexander, and he he remembers that amazingly. <laughs> I asked him about it about a year ago, and he said, "Oh yeah, I still, I still listen to that arrangement you did. I I did an arrangement of I Wish You Love' for Patricia Cass.
0: Yeah, and he and, and he has become a big thing in film scoring, hasn't he? Uh, the, totally, it absolutely. Uh,
1: absolutely
0: scores. I think have. have I, and maybe I'm just being an old fuddy-duddy or something. It seems to me like uh, there's the films seem to have more. They seem to have more music in them than they used to. And and you would think, as a film score buff, I would love that. But I I I also found it very. Certain composers like to be economical with their use of music, and that it would make more of a, an impact when it when it was done that way. I
1: think now
0: that- now it's now it's almost wall-to-wall music. Is that is that a trend you've noticed as well?
1: Yes, I, I noticed that. I, I, I also noticed that it's devalued in a way because it's almost like another sound effect. Um, yeah. when, when it when it sort of really struck home was when it was important enough to sort of stick out at a particular moment, you know, maybe like a, a Bernard Herrmann score for Hitchcock or, um, again, David Raxson or, or any of those great, 1950s and 60s composers always had that you know we need the music to make a huge impact we don't need wallpaper and now it's become a <laughs> wallpaper
0: yeah, yeah in some ways i think you're right well uh to wrap up our list of your favorites uh i thought this was a beautiful piece as well uh this is from the film the mission and it's called gabriel's oboe and i Maybe I can confirm with you the correct pronunciation. I- Ineo Morricone? Is that how you say it?
1: Inio Morricone, yes.
0: Okay. Uh, that's the composer for this, uh, another favorite of mine. Uh, what went into your thinking on uh, choosing this as one of your favorites?
1: Well, there was an English composer-conductor who was a great friend of mine called David Bedford. And one day I was uh, recording in the studio complex in London called CTS, which unfortunately right. is a hole in the ground, but it's where mm. Star Wars was done. It's an iconic studio, should never have been demolished. No kidding. And it was demolished for the new Wembley Stadium, but nothing was put in its place. You know, it was, it's sort of, um, there's no building there. They They should have kept it. But anyway... I was in studio two and I came out and David Bedford was in the corridor. So I said, uh, oh, hi, David. How are you? He said, fine. I said, what what are you up to here? And he said, I'm recording a a film score for a composer. Um, I'm conducting it. He's not actually here and there's nobody here from the film company. So why don't you pop in and have a listen? So. Hmm. I went into the control room. I sat down and he said, uh, whatever it was, you know, two M four or something right. like that Gabriel's over. So I was the first person ever to hear it,
0: hmm.
1: which was extraordinary. And
0: that is, and that, that memory has stuck with you, obviously.
1: Oh, totally. And then the next day I went back and they were recording the choir, you know, and that, that, that also stuck with me. And, um, it's very rare that you get in on something like that and you hear it. And as soon as you hear it, you go, well, that's a game changer. That's brilliant. You know, that, that you can't beat that as a piece. And that's the feeling I had when I heard it.
0: Wow. Well, let's have everybody else have that experience as well. Uh, This is called Gabriel's Oboe and it's from the film, the mission written by Ineo Morricone. Well, John, as we wrap up, I'm curious, uh, uh, anything in the pipeline for you these days, either uh, films or, or just other, uh, you said you had a band that you, I guess you guys are still active with that, but uh, what can we look forward to in the future when it comes to John Altman?
1: Well, I'm i am doing a whole series of um, evenings, chat, chat evenings, if you like, um, at a pizza express in London, the restaurant. And I've, I've had some wonderful guests and they continue in the next couple of weeks. And I'm working on a book and also hopefully starting to get into your racket and doing some podcasts.
0: Ah, okay. Great. So, That's so, all I need is competition.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the last, the last movie thing I worked on was a very enjoyable I took down Quincy Jones's score for the Italian job, the original film.: Oh yeah, for performance with Live Orchestra with the film, and they've done that a few times now. and that was that, great fun.:
0: I bet that is starting to catch on, and I couldn't be happier that there, uh, orchestras, at least in various parts of the US, yep. are starting to have a live orchestra play the score while the movie plays behind them. Exactly uh, and and you and you see how, how that process works it's uh, uh i think i saw what was it uh, close encounters that way and there's been some others recently so i'm delighted to hear that you're involved with that then that's great oh i bet that's i bet that is great fun it's
1: enjoyable sort of piecing it together it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle but um it's very very fulfilling you know very mm-hmm. entertaining to do and a couple of years ago, I also I, I scored a hundred-minute silent movie for the London Film Festival, and then performed it live with an orchestra. That was pretty hair-raising.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I bet! But uh, yeah, what a nice challenge. And was that almost wall-to-wall music? I guess because it was silent.
1: The wall. Yeah. There yeah. No sound and no 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 director either. You know,
0: 1928 movie. Wow, I might I might have been... In a composer's dream, huh? no, no director looking over their shoulder.
1: Well, this is what Hans Zimmer came into the recordings, and he said that to me. He said, "You know what the great thing about this is? No director." <laughs>
0: <laughs> John, listen, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us today and putting in the work to uh, send those uh, the files to these uh, favorite scores of yours to me. Uh, I, I'm really most appreciative. Uh, I'm a fan as well, and, and, uh, and I, I hope that we can do this again sometime. I'm sure. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real uh, treat to talk with John Altman today. Uh, I hope you'll join me in thanking him as well, and uh, check out some of his music, and not only just related to films, there's there's music out there that he's been associated with, uh, with pop stars and things like that, and big band sounds. That uh, There's plenty of it out there if you look for it, and I think you'd really enjoy it. Uh, again, our thanks to John for taking the time to be with us. Uh, uh, look forward to future episodes. We're going to try and get some more guests uh, along the lines of uh, people in the film industry. And so you can look forward to that. But until then, it's very simple. And that is that my name's Frank Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?